You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Wow, here we are. We are back with another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out. I just got back from GearFest. I am absolutely exhausted, but I did get a lot of great content while I was there, and I am very excited to share those episodes with you. Some of them are short, some of them are longer, and none of them would have happened without Sweetwater. So thank you for having me out and supplying all the people and all the space and all of the festivities that Sweetwater has to offer. It was a really great time. I really enjoyed it, and I was stoked that they invited me back out again. So thank you to everybody at Sweetwater for that one, especially Tyler, Ryan, Josh, and Hunter. Thank you all for all of your work. Thank you for all your help. I really appreciated being a part of that. Thank you guys very much. Now, on to one of the more unique episodes in this podcast history. I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately, but it is still true every single time. This one is very different, though. This one, I am talking to a man who's had an actual Hollywood film made based around his life because he had such an insane thing happen to him. So for the first half hour or so, David and I talk about his life and the film War Dogs. And actually, this all ties together back into music gear, which is the craziest thing. War Dogs was a movie made by Todd Phillips. If you don't know him, you almost certainly have heard of his movies like The Hangover, The Joker, and War Dogs, which happened in between those two. David is played by Miles Teller, who stars opposite of Jonah Hill. It is an absolute bonkers movie, and I will let David fill you in on his view on the accuracy of it. But let's just say it is a tale of an arms deal gone very, 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 very wrong. So... How does that tie into guitar pedals? It does, actually. So I'll let David tell you all about it. Let's get into this episode right now with Mr. David Packhouse. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have David Packhouse of Singer Singular Sound. Wow, I couldn't talk there for a second. How's it going, dude? It's going good. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, uh, I was really excited to talk to you. I think, I mean, I, I don't even know the full story yet, but mm -hmm. knowing what little I do, you have to have one of the wildest and most interesting stories of anyone I've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Compa so I could barely believe it myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to get into it because it's like, I mean, of course, as a lot of people are familiar, you had a very successful movie made about with you as the main character mm -hmm. uh, called War Dogs back in, I believe it was 2016, 2017. Correct. Something like that. Yeah. 2016. Yeah. Yeah, I watched rewatched it again uh, the other night because it'd been a while, and I had to reacquaint myself with 
how insane that story was. Yeah. Uh, to, to put a put a, a bow on it for the listeners who don't have time to sit down and watch the whole movie before they listen to this podcast, uh, you were essentially doing arms deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somehow that led to making audio equipment. And I want to know from your perspective, <laughs> how in the world all of that happened? Because yeah. it is one of the most insane things I've ever heard. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I've had quite the career trajectory, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, I've always been a, like a, a musician. I, I've been singing a, as long as I can remember. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, some of my earliest memories singing was my dad. Uh, so I, I was very lucky that my that my mother is uh, an amazing singer and she's a guitarist as well. And my dad can't sing a note to save his life. So uh, I really, uh, really won the luck of the draw there as far as the <laughs> genetics go. So I got my mom singing uh, uh, voice. I'm one of nine children and uh, yeah, large family. And uh, only three of us out of the nine can sing. So, <laughs> so I, right. I feel I feel very lucky. It's um, it's really interesting how genetics plays a role in that. But um, uh, so I've always been a singer. When I was fifteen, my mom taught me how to play guitar. Uh, I was mostly into uh, rock and roll, and she was mostly into uh, uh, folk music. So not exactly the same style, but she started me off on the open note chords rhythm with acoustic. And I kind of moved to Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots and Metallica from there. And Sounds uh, familiar. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I grew up in the 90s, so that was what was cool uh, at the time. And um, in my opinion, still cool. But, still cool. Uh, still yeah. cool. Forever Definitely. cool. Yep. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, I've always been a musician, had a, uh, had a dream, I guess, as most teenage boys do of becoming a rock star and f- selling out stadiums and all that. And, but I've always had a entrepreneurial and a practical streak to me as well. So I knew that th- it, it wasn't something I could necessarily rely on. I wasn't comfortable just like as I very admire some people do, you know, just go all out and, you know, no safety net and just do the music thing 100%. I, I, I couldn't do that. So uh, I've always had a few side hustles. I was going through uh, um, college to study chemistry because I've always had a knack for math and sciences. So uh, and and everyone told me that a hard science degree was a uh, uh, a, uh, a good guarantee of future employment. So sure, yeah, sure, yeah, <laughs> a good good safety net. So I was studying chemistry. I had a few side hustles. Uh, I was buying SD cards and uh, selling them on, from China and selling them on eBay. And uh, that's when I was uh, twenty three. 2223 is when I bumped into my old friend Ephraim DeVaroli, who's played by Jonah Hill in the movie, um, mm-hmm. and uh, got into the whole arms business as depicted in the film. Um, and uh, for those, for people who've, who've seen it, I, I will, and people always ask me how realistic the film is. That was going to yeah. be a question, of course. Yeah. yeah. And um, it, it, I would say it's about like 70% accurate. It's mostly even that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mostly (laughs) accurate, but there's large chunks of it that are, that are Hollywood, uh, you know, because they need to, um, 
they need to have a certain formula in Hollywood movies and they need a certain amount of comedy, a certain amount of drama, a certain amount of action and, and a certain story arc that fits within an hour and a half to two hours. And sure. if, if your actual story doesn't fit that formula, then they change it. Um, and you know, they don't feel bad about that. <laughs> That's Hollywood's famous for that. So, um, it, it, most of it is true. Um, we really did win a $300 million contract in, in our early twenties to arm the entire Afghan national army and police, uh, through the U S army. And, um, uh, so pe- m- most people, as far as accuracy in the movie goes, most people ask me whether I actually drove through the Triangle of Death uh, in Iraq. Of course. Because that's <laughs> one, course. Of, one of the action highlights of the, of the movie. And um, the answer to that is a little bit nuanced. It, it's, I didn't drive through, my partner and I at the time, we did not drive through Iraq. We were, I'd like to think we were smarter than that. Uh, but uh, the guy who wrote the screenplay, so it is a true story, the part driving through the Triangle of Death. It just didn't happen to us. It actually Got happened it. to the screenwriter of the film, Stephen Chin, who wrote the screenplay. And in 2003, he wanted to write a screenplay about these two American contractors who were actually in Baghdad at the time. And uh, that script never ended up becoming uh, being made into a film, but it was uh, pretty widely respected in the Hollywood circles. So that's why he got the job to write the story about war dogs. So um, w- in order to meet these guys in Iraq, Stephen uh, flew. You know, he couldn't get a direct flight to Baghdad. There were no commercial flights at the time. So, sure, sure. so <laughs> he uh, he bought a flight to Jordan. Uh, and hired a Jordanian to drive him into back uh, th- into Iraq and to Baghdad, and he he didn't know he didn't realize what he was getting into. Of course, he's in, he drove through the Triangle of Death and and got shot at and got saved by the U.S. Army, like they show in the film. So that part is actually true. It just happened to the screenwriter, not to us. Um, so that's that, wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, other things people ask me is whether I was actually kidnapped in Albania, and no, I was never kidnapped in Albania. Uh, <laughs> we we were dealing with the actual mob. Uh, obviously, we didn't know it at the time. We found out later um, when uh, you know the, 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 our story got into the papers, and there were all sorts of investigative journalism being done. But we were dealing with Albanian mobsters who seemed to be uh, bribing the government. And so there were a lot of like shady things going on, but luckily I was not kidnapped. Uh, I didn't never felt actually the only time I really felt like my life was in danger um, was actually when I quit the business uh, because my former partner, uh, Ephraim, who was who's being played by Jonah Hill, as I mentioned, um, Mm -hmm. decided to screw me out of all the money that we had made together. And, uh, he owed me quite a few million dollars and, uh, I just, you know, I quit and was, uh, filing a a lawsuit against him to get the money that was owed to me. And I figured at the time that he might think it's, and it would have been quite a a lot cheaper to have someone, uh, knock me off than to actually pay me the money that was owed to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was when I started feeling nervous. And that was actually when I bought my first handgun that I'd ever owned. I never, up until that point, I'd never even owned a gun, even though we were some of the largest, uh, (laughs) you'd sold quite a few, sold quite a few, but I never actually owned one personally until, until that point. So, uh, that was the only time I really felt my life was possibly in serious danger. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, there is, there was a book written about the film, um, 
they renamed it War Dogs in order to capitalize off the film's uh, sure, fame. Sure. So if anyone wants to know the real story, uh, the, the movie is good. I, I was very happy with the movie, actually. You were was, in it. Oh, yeah, I was. So. That's right. I had a little cameo, <laughs> with, I think, in the first five minutes. I'm playing guitar and singing, so that was I cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, uh, I wanted to, personally, I wanted to sing one of my original songs because I'm a singer-songwriter. I write songs, and I've recorded some songs, and... Um, of course, I thought into myself, hey, this is my big chance to get my music into a big Hollywood film. I mean, how could they say no? They're making the movie about me, right? And mm -hmm. uh, they told me, no, you're going to sing uh, this song we picked, which was Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cults. And they thought sure. it was hilarious because I was singing it to a room full of like 80 and 90-year-olds. So mm -hmm. that, that was the joke. Um, and they're like, you either sing this song or we're going to get someone else to do this scene. <laughs> so I was like, okay, fine. I'll do my cameo and sing the song you want me to sing. So yeah, they didn't put any of my original mu music into the film, uh, unfortunately, not even on the soundtrack. Uh, oh. What can you do? But that's, 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 how, that's how it goes. I shouldn't complain. Not many people get a Hollywood movie made about them and uh, especially while they're still alive so uh so i'm grateful well, with some, for that with some a-listers yeah. too i mean this is yeah. a todd phillips movie yeah you know, that's right so yeah. that's a pretty big deal obviously yeah. miles teller playing yeah. you right J jonah hill all all yeah. names that people know yeah at yeah. this point yeah so. uh todd phillips um i mean uh, for people who are not in hollywood you know a lot of people don't know directors but todd phillips is the guy who made the hangover movies mm -hmm. uh before war dogs and after war dogs he made joker which is what yep. he's most famous for now and uh he saw uh, War Dogs as kind of his transition from comedy to drama. They actually call War Dogs a dramedy because it's uh, it's kind of partial comedy, partial drama. Uh, so so that was like his transition movie. Um, and I thought he did a really good job with it. Hon honestly, when I first heard that he was going to be the guy making the film, I thought he was just going to make like another hangover style film where it was going to be just ridiculous hijinks. And, you know, I'd wake up from a being blacked out on drugs next to a tiger or whatever, you know, and, <laughs> and it would just make me look completely ridiculous. And so I was like, oh, crap, you know, well, that it you know that's that's what i should prepare myself for but i was i was very pleasantly surprised that he um he did a pretty good job on on mixing on balancing the drama and the comedy and and more or less historical accuracy um uh you know obviously with plenty of hollywood liberties taken but um sure but uh but i thought by and large, I was I was pretty happy with the film, and I think they portray me, my character, as a, a relatable, nice guy, which is completely one hundred percent accurate. I'll say <laughs> <laughs> that part they yeah, nailed. Yeah, that part yeah. they nailed one hundred percent accuracy yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah, that's so uh, uh, that that was that was an amazing experience. Not something I ever thought, and never in my wildest dreams did I ever expect a Hollywood movie to be made about any part of my life. But, uh, but that, but how been, did it happen? That's, that's the part I'm You mean, about. how did the film happen? Yeah. Um, how did, how did I get your story and then right. be like, we should make a movie about this. Right, how right, does that right. happen? For so, so, uh, our, our story first got into, I guess you could say the public domain, uh, when the New York times published in, a very unflattering article about us uh, in the in the movie. Uh, they uh, they say, um, and this is actually true, that we got caught because. Uh, uh, and for people who haven't seen the movie, there was some uh, activities we did that were not. 
completely 100% legal at towards the end. I mean, everything was legal until it wasn't. And right. um, that's how it works. Yeah, right? that, that is how it works. <laughs> and, um, uh, and I'll be the first person to say, you know, we made plenty of mistakes. And there are a lot of things that uh, I did back then that I would never do nowadays. And, um, uh, but, uh, but to make a long story short, um, we, the guy who, so the thing that we got in trouble for was repackaging Chinese ammunition and telling the government it was not Chinese. And, uh, the guy, you know, there's been some pedal companies that have done that. That is true. That is true. Um, (laughs) though I will be, I will have to say that all the pedals that we make at singular sound, they do say made in China on them. So, you know, yes. we're, we're not hiding it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was, I was referring yeah. to a, a, a classic blunder yeah. in the gear community from years ago. Yeah. Uh, look up the freakish blue scandal. If you ever want a deep dive mm-hmm. on a uh, dumb internet guitar drama. Oh, uh, that, that is interesting. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I've heard something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People, people don't like being lied to. And I, I totally get sure. that, you know, even if the mm-hmm. quality is the same, you know, authenticity goes a very long way. And especially musicians, uh, authentic, it's all about authenticity. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, our, I mean, we manufacture in China just like everyone else. I mean, you know, your iPhone is made in China. Almost all your computers are made in China. Uh, I don't think so, anybody cares as long as yeah, they know what, what the deal yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And as long as it's legal, right? So Sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we design our engineering team is in the United States. So everything's designed in the United States. But, uh, but yeah, but manufactured in China. Um, yep. So, uh, so... To answer, go back to your original question of how they found us, um, mm-hmm. the guy we hired to repackage the ammunition, uh, the box guy, we called him, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, because he ran a cardboard box factory, and, and so we needed a lot of cardboard boxes in order to repackage this ammo. So we hired him to do the repackaging job. Uh, Ephraim, my former partner, ended up screwing him out of like 20 grand. A really you know, tiny amount of money considering we had a $300 million contract, but sure. Ephraim was a very short-sighted person and didn't, uh, and pretty much screwed everybody he was in business with, including me and including the people who he worked with after me. And that's just kind of how he was wired. And mm-hmm. so he screwed this guy over at like $20,000 and, um, and that guy got really mad, as is reasonable, and he decided to tell the New York Times about what we were doing. Oh. And he also told the FBI about what we were doing, and he told the Albanian press. This was happening in Albania, the repackaging job. And so he told the Albanian press about it, and that he told the Albanian press ended up, unfortunately, getting him killed. Uh, because the Albanian mob who was making money off this did not appreciate him uh, trying to make a political stink about this. And so he, mm-hmm. he died in mysterious circumstances. Um, Whoa. Yeah. And um, so the New York Times was informed about the story and, uh, and they started investigating. And um, about six months after they were informed, they published this front page article about us. And it had our mug shots on the front page of the New York times, uh, not flattering mug shots. We looked really bad and, uh, you could Google this if you Google my name and you look, you look in the pictures section of Google search results, you'll see my, my mug shots. I don't look good. Um, and, uh, 
so, and our mugshots were right next to a picture of really rusty, nasty looking ammunition. And mm-hmm. they, they, New York, the New York times said that this is, was the ammunition that we were delivering was this really low quality ammo. In reality, we, we did deliver the ammo that they, that they, uh, published on the front page of the picture, uh, in the picture, but that was a tiny, 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 fr- it was like 30,000 rounds out of like 200 million rounds. So it was right. a tiny fraction of a percent that the, that the, that we had delivered and the army always inspects everything before they pay for it, of course. And they had rejected this shipment and didn't pay us for it. And of course they had no place to dispose it. So, and it was just a few pallets of ammo. So relatively nothing in the grand scheme of things. I mean, we're flying three to four aircraft loads a week, uh, you know, like that's 45 tons each. So, so this was like a, like a couple pallets. And so they just left the pallets at the side of the runway because they didn't really have any place to, uh, to, you know, to put it. And so when the New York Times went to Afghanistan to investigate, that's the ammo that they saw because everything else had been issued uh. to the soldiers. So they got pictures of that. And then they kind of implied that this was the quality of all the ammo, which we, which we were delivering, which was not true. But the, they made a big, well, yeah. I know some soldiers that yeah. would have been over there at that time. And if yeah. it looked as bad as that, does yeah they're not putting that in their mags no exactly yeah <laughs> it's not gonna happen yeah no, no of course not and uh mm-hmm. and even and it wouldn't even get to them because the mm-hmm. receiving officer would have taken what did take one look at it and said no way there's no mm-hmm. and um yeah i mean we were delivering 200 million rounds uh not everything's going to be perfect of course um oh yeah that's not scale things get weird yeah yeah yeah. that's not Mm -hmm. to to make an excuse for it i mean it was definitely a mistake and we should not have done it and we shouldn't have shipped it and our inspection process should have been better um and i'll be the first one to admit that um but uh but um but yeah, I mean, it, it, but it did not, it, the reality was not as the New York Times portrayed it, it was not that we were delivered, that this was all the stuff we were delivering. And that's kind of how they made it seem. And because they made it seem like that, it created this huge scandal. And of course, they made a big deal out of how young we were. We were in our early 20s, and we were assigned this $300 million contract. And so, uh, which was totally bizarre, of course. And of course. Uh, so that became a huge uh, viral story. I saw. My, I had a Google alert on my name, and it got. I saw this story get reprinted through the Associated Press in pretty much every major newspaper around the world. Like over three hundred something newspapers reprinted this story from the New York Times, and so it became worldwide news. And uh, I remember when it happened yeah, before the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember reading about it and being yeah. like, "This is crazy." Yeah. So, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. never in a million years did I think I'd actually be talking to you. Right. At the- <laughs> yeah. And this was that was back in two thousand eight. So that was mm-hmm. that's quite a while ago. That's fifteen years ago. Um, and uh, uh, because it made such a huge stink in the media, uh, Congress got involved and they wanted to hold hearings about it. They did hold hearings about it. Actually, there's there's clips on YouTube about uh, with the I think it was I think it was Henry Waxman who was the lead um, uh, guy in Congress at the time, and he had like a big poster board with like pictures of us in Congress, you know, saying, these are the schmucks, you know, who are putting, you know, our <laughs> allies in danger by delivering low quality ammo. And, and they wanted us to actually, they wanted to, uh, to subpoena us to testify in front of Congress. But of course, our lawyers told Congress that we just plead the fifth because we we're under criminal investigation at the time. So, um, so Congress decided not to, 
do the whole you know show of having us there and just pleading the fifth so we didn't end up testifying in front of congress but anyway because yeah yeah exactly uh the the because the new york times made it worldwide news that uh got us out there and uh rolling stone of course read about it and they loved the story because this is like rolling stone style story of young guys doing crazy and uh so they sent a writer to interview us uh guy lawson he ended up writing the war dogs book uh he because so he wrote this this really long uh, Rolling Stone article about us, which uh, our lawyers uh, made a deal with him that he would be allowed to interview us, but not allowed to publish it until all of our legal issues were resolved, which took mm-hmm. three years until 2011. And so in 2011, Rolling Stone published this really long article about about the story based on our on our interviews. And he also interviewed uh, people in the government and other you know people involved in the story. And so he did a whole uh, investigative journalism uh, article about it. And uh, Todd Phillips, director of the Hangover Movies, saw this article in Rolling Stone and thought it was one of the coolest stories he'd ever read and um, decided that uh, this could make a you know great movie. And so he contacted Rolling Stone and optioned the rights to the article. And then they contacted me and optioned my life rights, as they call it, uh, which they didn't have to do actually legally in, in the United States, anyone could make a movie about you and not pay you a penny and they could yeah. use your real name and they could say anything they want about you, uh, whether it's true or not. And as long as your name has previously appeared in the media or in the public domain, as they call it. So mm-hmm. once your name appears in the media, you are considered a public figure illegally. Um, and then, and you, because of the First Amendment, anyone can make any film or book or any piece of artistic work based on any public figure, and they're allowed to say anything they want. It doesn't have to be accurate in the least. So they didn't actually have to get my permission or pay me a dime uh, for anything, but they wanted their story, because they wanted to make it based on a true story, they uh, wanted my cooperation, and so they bought my life rights, which they gave me, a, you know, not a small amount of money, but nothing even close to what the actors pretending to be me made, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, the, guys, the, guy, sure. the, guys, the guy pretending to be me made a lot more money than me. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of yeah. how it goes in Hollywood. So, uh, so, yeah, so they bought my life rights, and they sent Stephen Chin, the screenwriter, to... Uh, to Miami to interview me for a couple weeks. And he, you know, we spent a lot of time together. He interviewed me, recorded the conversations, and then he based the first iteration of the screenplay off of those interviews. And then Todd Phillips rewrote the screenplay like uh, over and over for like the next year or so until he got it into the formula he wanted that he thought mm-hmm. would make it a commercial success. Um, and that that's where you get stuff like the triangle of death scene because he needed more action. And, and also in the film, there's a part where I'm like lying to my girlfriend about being an arms dealer. And, you know, and she like dumps me because I'm such a lying piece of and of course, that never happens either. My girlfriend at the time was completely aware of everything I was doing and had zero problem with it as long as I was bringing in the money. And um, 
of course, uh, Hollywood needed some relationship drama for the ladies in the audience. Of course. That, that's what the ladies <laughs> like. So they knew that, you know, this is going to be more of a guy-centered movie, as most arms-dealing movies are, but a lot of guys are going to drag their girlfriends along to watch it with them. And so they had to give some relationship drama to satisfy the ladies in the audience. So mm-hmm. so they had to check that box. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, so that's how... The other really super accurate yeah. part is your girlfriend at the time was Anna Diarmo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, yeah, that's, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, that's uh, based on the true story, right there. I thought so. Yeah, yeah. I, I assumed yeah. as much. Yeah. It's actually funny. I mean, my girlfriend, <laughs> my girlfriend was very beautiful, but she didn't look anything like Anna de Armas. She uh, actually is uh, a mix, is mixed race. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, mm-hmm. who is the mother of my daughter, uh, is half African and half. Uh, Spaniard. So, oh, cool. yeah. So, Anna Darmus is actually half Spaniard and half Cuban, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, so, so they are both half Spaniard. So, I guess there's accuracy mm-hmm. there. They got um, close. Yeah, I they guess. got they got they got a Spaniard <laughs> part right. But yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, my my daughter's mother is uh, you know much darker than uh, than Anna Darmus, and yeah, sure. yeah. But you know that's that's Random how Hollywood. Aside. Yeah, they that's call my it. attempt at a joke. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I, I actually met uh, Anna, and she's just as beautiful in real life as she is in the movies. Yeah, she, and she's very nice. She's very nice. Um, she seems like a fun person. Yeah, yeah. She's very very sweet. And um, uh, I also met Miles Teller and Jonah Hill, and and. Uh, of course, Todd Phillips, and uh, they invited me on the set for a few scenes that they were filming while they were in Miami. And of course, I went out to LA to film my cameo for the uh, for where I'm playing guitar. So yeah, that, it was an amazing experience. Uh, not something I ever expected to actually happen, uh, but very cool that it happened. And of course, I got invited to the premiere, and that was really cool. Got to meet Bradley Cooper, and uh, who's also in the film, and. Uh, yeah, it was it was really neat. It was it was quite the experience. And actually, the um, the uh, uh, the arms dealing story is how I know you asked me originally, like how it went from from uh, uh, you know, doing arms dealing to creating music gear, and it actually led directly into it. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. It was so. At the end of the arms dealing story, I, as I mentioned before, we got in a little bit of legal trouble and for the whole repackaging the Chinese ammo thing. And um, uh, I was very, very lucky. I ended up pleading guilty and was only sentenced, sentenced to uh, seven months of house arrest. So I avoided prison completely, which uh, you know I'm extremely grateful for. Because uh, I was looking at a long time in prison, and um, it's—I mean—it's a whole—it's a whole thing about like how they do the charging in 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 the United States. You know, they they pretty much said we're going to charge you with seventy-one acts of fraud, one for each aircraft that landed in Afghanistan, and you can get five years in prison for each one uh, if Look. you fight us. So you can get three hundred and fifty-five years in prison, or you could plead guilty. And we'll reduce all the 71 acts into one act so you can get maximum five years. And because you're pleading guilty, we'll tell the judge to go easy on you, to give you the low end of the of the guidelines of the range. And so well, I was it like, makes their job easier if yeah, you plead guilty. Well, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, and that's why they do it. And that's why the United States, uh, the federal government wins 98 point something percent of the cases that they have because they give people choices like this. Like you're either going to spend the rest of your life in prison or you're going to plead guilty. Uh, mm-hmm. And even if you do, 
want to fight in court, you need like a few hundred thousand dollars in order to do that to get like, at a, least. A, yeah, at least yeah. a fighting chance. Um, and I didn't have the money because my partner had screwed me out of all the money that, that was coming to me. So, so I didn't really have much of a choice, but, um, hi, I'm Vincent and I'm here to talk about the Merit My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my pocky? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. Well, and yeah. as you've, you've said, like, yeah. there's a certain level of like, well, I did do part of it. That is true. So, and mm-hmm. that is true, though. It is, I, I will say it's a bit more complicated than uh, than the surface level will say, because, I mean, I don't know how much you w- really want to get into it. But um, I find it all very interesting, okay. but we do need to get to your company. Yeah, yeah, point, yeah. So I'll, yeah. Give, I'll give you a, just a very brief. And, and I'm saying this not to excuse what I did. Uh, I, as I said, you know, I made mistakes and I will admit that, that I made mistakes and there were some things, uh, that I did back then that I should not have done. Um, but the legal case as it was, was not so cut and dry. Um, Mm -hmm. the ammo that we bought, so pretty much we were buying ammunition from Albania, uh, which was originally from China and uh, the, the ammunition had get, been given to Albania in the 1970s um, as a gift because they, they, they formed an alliance, and that's a whole other story. Um, and the reason that the United States does not allow U.S. companies to buy ammunition from China is because in 1989, there was the Tiananmen Square massacre where mm-hmm. a bunch of Chinese college students wanted were protesting for democracy and the Chinese army pretty much killed them all. And yep. so they, uh, so to punish uh, China, the U.S. put them on the, on the arms embargo blacklist. And so our contract with the U.S. Army, who was buying the ammo to give to, the Af- to our Afghan uh, 
uh, allies, um, our contract said no Chinese ammunition can be supplied under this contract, either directly or indirectly. And what they meant by that was you can't break the Chinese embargo, right? No Uh, buying from China. Right, no buying from China. I mean, that's why they put that in there. Uh, However, they didn't mention the embargo in there, right? So actually, technically, the legally, I should say, the ammunition that was in Albania did not violate the embargo because it was given to Albania before the embargo existed. So you Mm -hmm. can buy a Chinese AK-47 or Chinese ammunition now in the United States legally, 100% legally. I've seen it before. Yeah, Yeah. because Mm -hmm. it was bought before 1989, imported into the United States before, while it was legal. And, you know, the, the, the embargo, it just applies to new business with China. It doesn't, it's not retroactive. It doesn't say all the stuff you ever bought is now illegal. That's not how it works. So the stuff that was in Albania did not violate the embargo. So it was technically legal to buy, but our contract, our commercial contract with the U S army said no Chinese period. So Mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily a legal thing. It was a business commercial thing. So If we violated that contract, it was a breach of contract, yes, but that's not a criminal thing. That's a civil issue, right? So they could sue us, but it shouldn't have necessarily been a criminal charge. And so that was the legal argument for our defense. And if I had a few million dollars, maybe I would have uh, tried to defend myself, but uh, I didn't. And, uh, you know, so I didn't really have have that much choice in the matter. And yeah, I will say we shouldn't have done that. We should have been straight up with the army and honest and told them, Hey, this is what's going on. Uh, you know, I think you guys probably wrote this contract to be a little too overbroad because you meant to refer to the embargo and not to Chinese ammunition in general when it's legal. So can you guys give us an exemption? And that's what we should have done, but we didn't do that. We did it in a sneaky way, and that's what ended up uh, burning us in the end. So I'm not going to say I didn't deserve what I got, and and I am very lucky that what I got was not nearly what it could have been. I could have spent Mm -hmm. the rest of my life in prison, uh, but I pled guilty, and the prosecutor's decided to, uh, you know, because I pled guilty and, uh, they said they, as they usually do when you plead guilty, they recommend to the judge that the judge gives you on the low end of the sentencing guidelines. And so the judge gave me just seven months of house arrest, um, which was not so bad. It's a lot not better. so bad. Yeah. A lot better, <laughs> yeah. Than, a lot better than prison. Uh, you get to, you know, watch TV and be with your family and eat your own we, food and, we all just you know. had that for a couple of years, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and, and it, I would say that it wasn't wasn't even as bad as that because people could visit me. There was no problem with people visiting me. I just couldn't mm-hmm. leave my house, and even and I was even allowed to leave my house uh, if I had like a, specifically for work. So I was allowed to work, but I had to tell the probation officer exactly where I'm going to be and what time I'm going to be there. So it wasn't even a hundred percent lockdown uh, like it was for everybody during COVID. So it, it was really, I, it really a slap on the wrist. Um, and I, I feel very lucky and grateful for that. Uh, but while I was, uh, while I was in under house arrest, uh, of course, uh, since I'm a guitar player, I'm a singer, uh, I was playing a lot of, uh, music to pass the time. And, uh, what I, I really missed playing in particular with a drummer because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the drum's 
give the beat to the music. The beat is the energy. You dance to the beat, right? Uh, but of course, no drummer is going to lug all this gear to my little apartment. And even if he did, it would wake up my entire apartment building. So that wasn't really an option. And I couldn't leave my apartment to go to this to the recording studio. So I didn't really have a way to play with drummers. I had other musicians who could visit me and, and jam, but but drummers couldn't. So uh, I bought myself a drum machine for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to have, excuse me, uh, in order to have beats to uh, play along with, do you remember what and that was? It for was the, the yeah, gear nerds. Yeah, this? it was uh, an Alesis. Uh, I think SR either sixteen or eighteen. Uh, I think it was the SR sixteen, I believe. Uh, and of course, the manual is like you know, like that thick. And and <laughs> and these drum machines are primarily designed for beat composition, right? It's yeah. not really designed for um, for accompaniment necessarily i mean you could use it for accompaniment to play your guitar whatever along to but that's not really what it's designed for so every time i wanted to like go from like verse to chorus in the song and i wanted the beat to change up i'd have to stop playing my guitar and press a button on the drum machine and uh to change the beat and then go back to playing my guitar and of course it interrupted the flow of the music and it was very irritating and i tried doing it with my toe but like i kept on missing the button (laughs) and -hmm, pressing the mm -hmm. wrong button it was just very uncomfortable and i thought there's guitar pedals why can't there be a drum machine in a guitar pedal you could just press the pedal and control the beat that way um and so i was sure someone already made it and so i went online to look for something like this and i just couldn't find anything the only thing i could find was uh, some loopers have like a uh, basic beats built into them mm-hmm. and they just play it. And, but the thing is that those beats are more or less like a metronome. You can't really interact with the beats. You can't control them. You can't switch them up from like verse to chorus or do drum fills or pause the beat and unpause it or, you know, anything that was made the, that would make the beat interesting. Um, it was just more or less a backing track. Uh, yeah. So, and that, that was, to me, that was, I mean, I might, I could just press, uh, I could play a backing track from my phone or from a classic drum machine. I wanted something I could interact with so that it would sound more live. It would be more fun to play with. And I just couldn't find anything. And so I asked my musician friends if they'd seen anything like this. And they all told me, uh, I'd never seen anything like this, but that sounds super cool. And if you find it, let me know, because I want to get one too. And Mm -hmm. all my musician friends told me that. And I was like, well, sounds like everyone wants this thing, including me, but nobody's making it. So this is a huge opportunity. Um, And so I did a patent search, and I was shocked that nobody had even patented the idea of a hands-free drum machine. Uh, So I got the patent and um, hired an engineering team. And it took, uh, uh, originally I hired the wrong engineering team. They didn't really do much except waste my money and time. And I had to fire them after about a year of them not making progress. That uh, sounds familiar. Yeah. That sounds really familiar. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I think that it's a, it's a common thing for most people. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, eventually I found the right engineering team uh, who did a great job, made a fantastic um prototype of course i didn't have the money to pay them so uh so i made a deal with them i i pretty much put every penny i had saved up uh which wasn't that much considering i um 
I had spent most of my money on lawyers to keep me out of prison at the sure. time. Uh, so I only had enough money to do like a small, like pretty much 20% of what they were asking for. So we made a deal where they would, I would give them the deposit, which was pretty much every uh, dollar I had. So it was a big deal for me, but, um, but they would build a, a working prototype and then give that to me. And, uh, I would use the prototype to raise more money, uh, through crowdfunding or through investors mm -hmm. and, and then pay them the rest of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, um, uh, they, we did that. I launched it, uh, as a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo and it became extremely successful at the time. It was, uh, uh, a, um, a record for crowdfunding campaigns for a musical product. We raised $350,000 in a month. And, um, yeah. And, uh, that, uh, allowed me to pay off the engineers and get the first production, uh, rolling. And, uh, so, and now we've been selling it since, uh, 2014 and a beat buddy for, I don't, for the people who are watching this on video, I'll hold it up to the camera. That's, that's the beat buddy. It's, uh, guitar pedal you can press the pedal it's got a nice screen on it visual metronome on the screen so you could watch the beat moving along the the measure which is very useful anytime you tap a fill it'll if you just tap the pedal it does a drum fill and uh and you could also watch the visual metronome so you know where that fill is going to end if you hold the pedal down it does a transition and when you let go it goes to the next beat so you can go from like verse to chorus and back again and if you tap it twice it does an outro fill and ends the song we also have a um an accessory we sell like a standard two button foot switch that you can plug into the beat buddy and get additional functions like pause unpause accent hits like cymbal crashes uh we also have additional things like uh that you could set it in the settings uh to do like double time half time you can connect a like a midi controller and and change up the 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 tempo like slowly up and down so there's a lot of things that you can do with this and it comes with software for pc and mac that you can put your own beats on it uh you can also create your own drum sets uh using wave files so you can play any beat with any drum set and um you can, for example, play heavy metal and on a uh, on a um, you know hand drums or jazz on an electronic drum set. So it sounds really, really cool. You could really mix it up. Uh, so it's a very powerful hands-free drum machine accompanying device. And um, a lot of a lot of musicians have uh, written to me over the years saying a lot of solo musicians, like one man band kind of uh, uh, artists, that that without the beat buddy they their career wouldn't be what it was because they are able to uh use the beat buddy to have a much fuller dynamic sound uh without having to rely on their percussionist on their drummer um, now i'll never say that this replaces a real life human of course a, a drummer will always be better uh but it is a great option for someone who can't get a drummer, uh, can't get a, uh, a percussionist to play along with. So that was our first product. And then we moved on to uh, additional products. Um, I don't know if you want me to get into all of them. Uh, oh, by the way, I think you're muted. I try to take a drink of water politely. Uh, and now I see, I do I that. <laughs> that hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah, Look at yeah, that. Yeah. I, I do want to get into that. Um, yeah. But I, 
want to talk about the mm-hmm. arrows specifically sure. yes, because arrows. that's like the um i mean the beat buddy makes sense yeah. right yeah and the arrows make sense in the context of the beat buddy yeah but wow you i mean you from what i can tell you 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 build it as a looper but it seems like you packed in a whole new dot into a, a pedal yeah, that's, somehow that's exactly right so the way the um the way the eros uh loop studio came about and uh, I, I'm just turning it on, so uh, so I'll I'll show Look you at guys. That thing. Yeah, there it is, and it looks so cool. Yeah, thank I you. just love how it looks. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's powering up right now. I'll sh- I'll hold it up to the camera once it's mm-hmm. uh, fully on. But yeah. Um, so yeah, so the air, the way the arrows uh, the idea for the arrows came about was uh, people the the beat buddy has MIDI. Right, uh, mm-hmm. has MIDI clock. Uh, it, it sends out you know MIDI time uh, and as well as time signature and start stop. So you commands. could use the Beat Buddy to trigger other things. Correct, if you want. Correct. To. Yeah, you can integrate mm-hmm. it into your rig. Uh, it can be used as a master or slave uh, in a MIDI rig. So you could control it with MIDI controllers. It could also control other things. So people started using it as a um, as a, um, uh, a a drum machine to play along with loopers with MIDI mm-hmm. capable loopers in order, you know, because you need, when you're doing, when you're recording a loop, it needs to be the exact same length as the drum loop. Otherwise they're going to go out of sync as they cycle around. So yep. the only way you could really do that is with MIDI. Otherwise it's going to be slightly off and eventually it's going to go out of time. So people started using the beat buddy with uh, MIDI capable loopers, like the Pigtronics infinity, the boss RC 300, um, other, you know, various loopers that have MIDI capability. And they started asking me for more and more functions and features. And so I bought these loopers and I was using them and testing it with the Beat Buddy. And I realized, man, you know, these loopers are, I've never been a looping guy. I've always been a, uh, like a singer songwriter. I just, I'm not, uh, I just play mostly rhythm guitar and, Mm -hmm. and more concentrate on my vocals. And so I've never really done looping. And so I was using these loopers with the Beat Buddy and I realized that looping is kind of hard. And yes. uh, <laughs> and especially because there's no, in most loopers, there's, there's no visual element to it. You have to kind of know just by remembering and listening where your loop begins and ends, right? Because if you want to stop the loop and it stops at the end of the loop, if you have like a four chord progression and you repeat that four times, are you on the first repetition? Are you on the third one? Are you on the second? You have no idea. So you don't know where that loop is going to end. And it's very difficult to, uh, to be effective. And I also realized that a lot of loopers, they only have, uh, really just like one, uh, they, they have what they call either parallel looping or sequential looping, right? Parallel Mm -hmm. looping is when you have multiple tracks that you can play at the same time. So, and this is for multi-track loopers. I'm not, I mean, of course, like the ditto, the, the TC electronic ditto is just a single loop, right? So that, you know, there's, that's not a multi-track looper. It's a, it's just a single loop. Uh, but for things like the infinity, for example, that has two loops, you have the option. You could either have them both going on at the same time, parallel looping, which the advantage of that is you can have the loops be different lengths. So let's say one loop is a, is a one, uh, you know, a measure of a simple chord progression. And the other loop is, let's say a four measure, uh, uh, 
melody built over that. So you could have, so that's the advantage of parallel looping is that you can have loops of different lengths. Um, but the advantage of sequential looping, meaning you play this loop and then you play that loop and then you come back to the other one, is that you can have like a verse chorus or multi-section uh, performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can have a verse, a chorus, a second verse. Um, but I hadn't seen any loopers that have both. And so I realized that if we make, and there was, I've also had not seen any looper that has uh, a screen on it. Just like your right. DAW has a screen that you could actually see the the waveforms being recorded, uh, and that obviously is much easier visually to know where you are. You actually see where you are in the loop. You know where the end is coming. It makes it much much easier to do looping when you have that visual feedback. But yeah. all the loopers out there did not have any screens on it. They had barely any indication of where you are in the loop. And so it's much, much more difficult. So I realized if I create a looper that has a screen, just like a DAW, it would be mm-hmm. much easier to loop. And not only would it be easier, but you, it would be a lot more capable. You could build in functions to it that no other looper has. And yeah. so... Here, and you can naturally know that you're recording. Exactly. Like, it, you yeah. know you're recording. You know when it's playing back. So here I'll... Uh, uh, one second. Oh, okay, so... I guess I never saved that song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah, I was, I was about to do just, a... Uh, just like a doll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hang on one mm-hmm. second. I, was, I wanted to... Uh, let me just get the other power supply so I can yeah, show no you how it works. All right, I'm just going to uh, plug the beat buddy into the arrows just to give it some sound. I'm, I'm not going to actually play the sound, but uh, just sure, so sure. you have the uh, visual idea of what of what this thing can do. Yeah. So if you, here, I'm just going to hold it up to the camera here. All right, sounds good. Um, here, play the beat buddy. And so when you press the the record button right here, mm-hmm. you see the the waveform right? Yep. Going across there. Right. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, you see where the loop, you see that bright red line is where the loop ends. You see the yellow uh, is where it's overdubbing. Uh, So you can see the different layers of the loop. Green is like the base layer and yellow is like the overdub layer. And then Mm -hmm. I'm going to the next track here. So, uh, and you see where that loop is going to end. So, you know, exactly. You could keep it in time. Now there's a lot of settings you can put on here. So there's different styles of looping. You could do what we call freeform, where there's no clock and it's just internal. Um, and you, th- we also have auto quantize where it figures out what the tempo is. Uh, that's helpful. Yeah. Very helpful. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it could also, uh, record to an external MIDI clock like the beat buddy, um, but uh, another thing that we built that nobody else had done before was a different song part arrangement. You see it w- just move from oh, that thing, from yeah. that dot to that dot, and that indicates a, d- a new song part. So I can uh, I can create multiple song parts, up to six, actually. I could create up to six song parts, and each mm-hmm. song part has up to six independent tracks. So it's a six-track looper for each song part. So in total per song, you can have 36 tracks and each track has unlimited overdub layers. And here I'll show you uh, another feature. Um, it's kind of awkward holding this up like this, but <laughs> but here was a second. Um, here I'll do one more. There we go. 
It's got oh. my nerd brain just just going a hundred miles an hour yeah. right now. You yeah. can do so many things. Oh, with this. you can do so many things with it. Mm-hmm. Um, here, one second. So here, I'm going to go back into the first. Um, uh, I'll record one mm-hmm. more track. And here, so if you do, there we go. Yeah. It's it's going cool. to right and for the audio only people. I'm just kind of describing yeah. what I'm looking at. Right, here. Basically, right. there's a screen on top of the pedal yeah. that clearly you can clearly see everything that's happening. So you on the audio only people, you're hearing the the clicking right now. Yeah, that yeah. is him enabling different tracks, putting layers over different tracks, and. Yeah. Also creating different musical parts. Now, right, obviously, right. there's no music being played yeah, yeah. right now, but he's using the Beat Buddies input into right, it. Right, Just so to I can show, see what's... Yeah, just yep. to show the waveforms. And if I yeah. press this, if I hold this button down, the lower left button, uh, you see it brings up this hands-free slide-out menu. Mm-hmm. And you could use the wheel on the unit to have all these different features. I don't know, you can't really see it that well on screen, but you have many, many different features. Like you could reverse a track, you could mute it, Mm -hmm. undo, you could solo a track. And uh, this is really cool. You could have a a mixer, on-screen mixer, and Mm -hmm. now you have have hands-free mixing of all the tracks. So you can select a track, and then use the hands-free wheel here to lower the volume here, you know, mm-hmm. uh, increase the volume there. You could mute something, solo something. So you have, as you said, it's kind of like a DAW in a pedal format. Mm-hmm. And uh, that allows you to do many, 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 many things that you couldn't mm-hmm. do with other loopers out there. Right. And you could even, you could build out, I'm picturing this as how I would use it if it yeah. were me. I would be building out like whole tracks because I actually I, I play v- very weird. I don't I don't play out, but the way mm-hmm. I construct songs, especially for my solo stuff, mm-hmm. and I've told listeners this before, I'll have like a table full of guitar pedals of mm-hmm. just a crazy amount of weird signals going everywhere yeah. and three amps and all kinds of things. Yeah. And I'll play the pedals as much as I'm playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. So if I was to actually try to do some of that live, it'd be it'd be a mess. Like, right. It'd be really difficult. Yeah. But if you had something like this is why the arrows was like, whoa, look yeah, at yeah. that. You could build all of that beforehand. Right. Or at least to portions of it that are difficult to do. Right. And then do the other portion of the live, mm-hmm. but you right. could have it all ready to go. And so the experience yeah. would be the same. So I yeah. was like, wow, what a cool, what yeah. a cool concept. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people use it in that way. They create their, uh, their like pre-made sections of the song and then they'll like have their live sections of the song that they, you know, that they do. Um, so yeah, there's, I mean, there's just so many ways and this thing, uh, the Eros, it has a, uh, it has Wi-Fi connection. So I was going to ask about yeah. that. I saw that on there just yeah. now. I yeah. didn't realize that. What's yeah. that for? So we send out software updates over the air, just like to your mm-hmm. phone. So we've been uh, constantly updating it ever since we released it in 2019. It's like a brand new product now. Uh, it's got so many more capabilities now than it had when we initially launched it. Uh, and the reason for that, I mean, we knew it was going to be an evolution, which is why we built the Wi-Fi cap- capacity in, uh, because there's just so many different ways that people loop. Uh, mm-hmm. There's different styles of looping, and people have different gear setups. And uh, we knew we didn't know everything about the way people loop and the different gear that they use. So 
We we've just we have a very active user forum on our website. Uh, we have a lot of people who use our gear, and they put requests up there, and uh, they report bugs. and And we have a very active development team that uh, responds to that and takes people's suggestions and uh, bug reports and fixes the things that are broken and and builds new features that people want. So, for example, uh, I'll give you a little example of like a, a like a looping style that that we had to adjust to. Um, as I said, I am personally a more of a singer songwriter. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, when I think of looping, I think I'm going to use the beat buddy as my drummer. I'm going to have it trigger the arrows to go to different, like when you hold the beat buddy down to do a transition, you go from one beat to another, it'll trigger the arrows to go to a new section. So I could record a new section and get it all synced up. And so that's more how I use uh, the beat buddy and the arrows together. But there is a lot of looper artists out there who are, um, uh, soundscape artists, and they mm-hmm. don't even use drum machines with their loops. Um, they they just build all these like atmospheric, cool uh, sound layers. And one thing that they wanted was um, was they wanted so current. You know, by default, the way the Eros works is you press the 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 button and it starts recording. You press the button again and it stops recording and starts playing back right? The loop. Mm-hmm. And if you press the button again, it does an overdub or another layer on top of the loop. Now, what they wanted is they didn't want it to go directly from record to playback. They wanted to go directly from record to overdub, uh, which if, if you were looking closely, that's actually the setting that what that the current, the unit I was demoing was under. Um, and the reason they wanted that was because they have all these cool effects that have what they call effect tails, right? At the yep. end of the loop, it like, like it echoes or reverberates or something, but they don't want, they want it to be recorded on top of the, of the beginning of the loop, not like as an extra space. So mm-hmm. we had to build a, a, um, uh, a setting so that you could change what we call RPO or record play overdub to ROP record overdub play to change mm-hmm. the order of it. And that's something, I mean, I, I'm not a soundscape artist, so I didn't think of that. Uh, but when we released the product and people started using it, they, they, insisted on our form that this was critical for a whole segment of the looping community. And so we built that in. And that's just one example of many, many uh, features that came from It would be important for me. Yeah. So there you go. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yep. So yeah, I've got all kinds of. I'm. I'll put a reverb with a distortion on it, mm-hmm. and then on in the, the other output, I'll be putting you know a different kind of reverb with a delay with, mm-hmm. that I'm modulating the repeats on. And mm-hmm. and if it was to cut off, yeah, it would be kind of useless. Yeah, which is, uh, exactly. So. But I, from your perspective, I see why it was originally the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the the powerful thing about the Eros is because it's got a touch screen. Uh, and Wi-Fi updates, we could build all these things into it. I mean, within reason, of course, there are definitely sure, certain sure, sure. certain limitations. But but like things like this, uh, and it's just so, there's such a wide range of looping uh, styles that it, it would we knew it would be impossible for us to know every little detail. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, and there's some big things like some things that to a lot of people are obvious that we miss. Like for example, this. Uh, you know, from your perspective, you'd be like, how could you not think of this? And for my 
my perspective, I'm like, I don't know. I didn't even know that this was an issue. And, <laughs> and, and we knew it would be like things like that, but like a hundred other things like that as well, it, which is why we built the Wi-Fi updates, uh, the Wi-Fi capability into it. Cause we wanted to make it as easy as possible to update it and to uh, expand uh, uh, the the capabilities of it, and mm-hmm. which is what we've done, and we're continuing to do. We actually have a new firmware uh, schedule to come out, I think, in the next week or two, um, and that one is going to significantly expand the MIDI capabilities because uh, a lot of people want to use other MIDI um, products, MIDI controllers with the Eros. Like, for mm-hmm. example, uh, someone, uh, some people want to um they want to use like a uh, like a mixer a midi mixer to control the midi tracks on uh, uh to control the mixer on the arrows uh mm-hmm. with a midi controller um because they don't want to do they don't want to use their foot with the wheel right because sure. they, they would rather just do it with their hand now i mean from my perspective the wheel works fine with my foot but i totally understand that a lot of people don't want to use their foot and they prefer to just take their hand off their instrument and um, adjust the levels by hand from their tabletop MIDI controller. So or maybe they're playing keys or something. Exactly. So they're already up there. Exactly. Yep. So there's, mm-hmm. there's so many different iterations and styles and gear combinations that, that we try to make it as flexible as possible to appeal to the largest uh, segment of musicians. So this, so this new update is going to have that feature in it as well as many, many other features uh, that people have been asking us for. And, and if anyone's curious, you could check out our, our forum at singularsound.com. Uh, I think it's under the support section. Uh, there's a link to the forum that uh, uh, you'll see. We have a very, very active uh, forum where a lot of people request a lot of things. And um, I'm, I'm not saying we say yes to everybody, but we try. We, <laughs> we try to say yes to as many people as possible because it's it's actually really crazy. Because some people they go all out. Like some of our our um, customers, uh, they. I've gotten I've gotten PDFs posted to the forum where someone like redesigned the entire like user interface and button configuration and like it was so complicated I didn't even understand I didn't even understand what it meant like like mm-hmm. and, like and I was like trying to like under like and it was obviously not intuitive because otherwise I would have understood it so you know something and he put a lot of effort into it so uh, I, I take it very seriously I read every suggestion. Um, but for something like that, I obviously thought it would not be an improvement for the vast majority of people. So mm-hmm. that request is declined. Um, but I do take very seriously everybody's uh, requests, and because I, I I try to I approach product design from what I try to, I try to be, approach it from a, a place of of humbleness of being humble and realizing that I don't know everything and that there's no way I could know everything because there's just such a wide range of people out there who are going to use this product and so I always uh, listen to everybody's uh, suggestion and and try to and tr- and I try to build it to be as flexible as possible in order to to satisfy everybody but of course you're never going to satisfy everybody you can sure you can just try <laughs> you can just try yeah yeah i'm relating to this on a lot of levels yeah. right now is you, you're talking about yeah. you know people using things in ways you weren't expecting or needing to get outside input and uh i, I don't know if you're aware but i'm a part of string joy guitar strings and mm-hmm. so you know right now we're working on making strings for other instruments ah, cool well, n- nobody plays some of these things that we're working on at the right. shop so we have to send them out to 
people we trust right. that do play some of these. Right. Like we can, we know how to make a string and we know there's a lot of different ways you can make a string. Sure. So we have definitely applied our knowledge from mm-hmm. making guitar and bass right. to these other instruments, but mm-hmm. whether they're good or not, we have to, we have to get a bunch of feedback Absolutely. because I'm like, I don't play, I'm not going to spoil it, but I don't play X, Y, Z. So right, I can't right, tell right. you if it's good or not. Right. <laughs> you right. Know? No, G- guitar bass. I can tell you. But, right. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. very true. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, that's, uh, the, the, uh, the moment of truth is when the person who's actually going to be using this product uses it and mm-hmm. gives you their feedback. Uh, and you can't just rely on one person. You have to rely nope. on many people because there's many different opinions out there, many different iterations, uh, and styles of, of musician and gear. And, uh, so that's why you have to get as, as much feedback as possible. And I've always, mm-hmm. uh, felt very strongly that you have, that the best products come when the people who make the products listen to the, to the customers, uh, to as broad of a range of customers as they can, and then make decisions that will satisfy not everybody, but as many people as they can without compromising Mm -hmm. the core functionality. Because I mean, that is, if you try to satisfy everybody, you're usually going to satisfy nobody (laughs) because it's going to be just such a compromise that it's going to leave everyone dissatisfied. So there is a very fine balancing act there of satisfying most people to a sufficient level that it's a great product for as many people as possible uh, without making it um, you know, a mediocre product for everybody. <laughs> sure. Yep. Yeah. Which, yep. which is the tendency. It, it, it happens. Yeah. Things that are designed by committee can go too far. At some point exactly. you have to, exactly. you have to define the line. At exactly. Some point. exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the only way. It's the only mm-hmm. way to make a good product. Yeah. 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 Well, we, I feel like I could talk to you all day. Yeah, thank uh, you. We're just, there's so many things to, to go into and, mm-hmm. and talk about, but we're reaching the end of the main episode, and yeah. I have a few classic questions sure. I like to wrap wrap this up on. Sure. But before I do that, I'd like to give the guests the chance to take the floor, you know, mm-hmm. shout out your grandma, plug anything you want to plug, yeah. say hi to anybody you want to say hi to. You got a few thousand people you're talking to. Yeah, sure. H- hang on one second. I'm just, I, there's just two more products that I'd like to plug. And oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah perfect. Hang, let me just yeah. grab them so I could show it to the people who are watching this on Let's video. Do it. Hang on one Let's second. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the Gear Exchange you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. 
Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Blitz and Good Hertz. Well, it's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with very compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about lossing, I invite you to head over to chaseblintsaudio.com. You're gonna like what you want. All right, I'm back. All right, okay. So, the first uh, product I'd like to uh, I'd like to plug. <laughs> Literally, let's I'll, go for I'm it. I'm gonna plug it in right now. So, plug oh. it in so I could plug it. Is uh, our MIDI floor controller, the MIDI Maestro. Oh, very cool. Got it. I, not really coming out that great on screen because it's always hard to film the screens. But it is. The idea behind the MIDI Maestro. So we, I came up with this product, the MIDI Maestro, uh, because uh, people were asking for all these new features on the Beat Buddy, uh, like double time, half time, uh, uh, having hands free, um, uh, like fine tempo control, like you know, being able to go up like one BPM at a time with a with mm-hmm. a button tap or being able to select the next song on the beat buddy hands free so they don't have to bend over on stage and uh, multiple accent hits like not just being able to do like cymbal crashes like you could do with the standard two button foot switch but with like being able to do kick drum and and snare and clap and stuff like that so a lot a lot of different um, features that people were asking and of course the beat buddy is a single pedal and, sure. and we have a two button foot switch that you could plug into the beat buddy so there's only so much you could do with with three controllable things. So, uh, uh, of course, because the BeatBuddy is MIDI compatible, you could use MIDI uh, floor controllers. And so I was using these MIDI controllers, but they were all super complicated to learn. You practically needed a computer science degree to program them. (laughs) And none of them had like any screens or anything. So you'd have to pretty much put a little piece of tape over the button and write with a sharpie of what that button is doing and then you can't really change it because that otherwise you're gonna have to have another piece of tape and remember what what uh mode it's in so what we did is we designed the six button floor controller midi floor controller each button has a little screen above it and which Mm -hmm. uh, i'm trying to like get the angle so you could actually see but yeah it's not (laughs) this is uh, it's not coming out but um that's all right yeah Eh, no, still not coming up. <laughs> and so each each screen tells you like the command that the MIDI command that that button is uh, will do, and mm-hmm. the uh, you could actually press a uh, a button like another button and it'll change all the commands like to a different bank or we call oh, them gotcha. pages. So you have mm-hmm. so even though it's just a six button MIDI controller, you can have many many different commands depending on what you're doing. Uh, so we have like one. Uh, for example, uh, it, this will be like accent hits. So you press that and then each of these buttons does a different accent hit. Like this does clap, tambourine, hi-hat, snare, kick. It triggers those sounds in the beat buddy. Uh, oh, cool. another, another one will do uh, like select part. 
and then you could have like each button does like a different song part on the beat buddy so instead of having to go from like part one to part two to part three back to part one you could skip from part one to part three back to part two and so you can have a lot Mm -hmm. more flexibility of what beat you're playing uh on the beat buddy and and uh we made it so that this has Bluetooth connection, and we made a Android and iOS app uh, that you can program the, these buttons easily. Uh, so oh, this cool. is not just usable for the Beat Buddy; it's usable for any MIDI compatible device. And uh, we also have a uh, an online library of um, of uh, 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 MIDI commands, so that uh, and. Um, and a profile, so you can download. Let's say a fa- you want to use this with a particular product, you could find a, a uh, like a profile for that product and just download a ready-made thing right to it. So you don't have to do any MIDI programming yourself, which a lot of musicians really hate to do. Uh, to you know, to look through the manual of the device you want to uh, program the controller for and find the specific MIDI commands for each command, you know, for each thing and program it in. So you can download a ready-made profile for that piece of gear onto the MIDI Maestro takes all the hassle out of it and makes it much easier. And of course you could adjust it and edit it uh, with the smartphone app. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, that's the MIDI Maestro. That's very cool. Yeah, There's a lot you. of uh, Chase Bliss and uh, hologram people and mm-hmm. Maris uh, fans that listen to this that I, oh, yeah. I'm sure are nice. going, hmm. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they, yeah. yeah I, I will say that, that the online component of the, uh, of sharing like, uh, gear profiles is new. We released it th- not that long ago, so there might not be that much up on it now. But I invite all of your listeners to create and share their own gear profiles for the community uh, because that would be amazing. So yeah. if you want to make like something for a Chase Bliss product or whatever, you can create a profile, share it online through our app, and then anyone else could download it and put it on their MIDI Maestro and and avoid the hassle of actually reading manuals and <laughs> which everyone hates to do. So, mm-hmm. so that's the MIDI maestro. And then our, our simplest product our least expensive product is the Cabley. And what this is, is a I haven't little, seen this one. Yeah, the so other ones I was a, familiar with. Okay. This is a little, little plastic wheel. So I came up with the idea for this because I was playing some shows uh, and um, I had, you know, I have a lot of gear. I've, I'm a, I sing, I play guitar, I have gu- vocal effects, guitar effects, I have the beat buddy. And um, so I had a lot of cables. And at the end of the show, I'm like wrapping all these cables around my arm and detangling them. And, you know, people like spill beer on it and they have to clean it and all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and if you have a lot of cables, sometimes they, they become a big mess on stage and you could trip over them and it's just like a big disaster. So, uh, my mom was, is, uh, loves, she loves gardening and she had a big, uh, uh, garden hose on a wheel that she would roll up. And so I thought, why don't I make like a much smaller version of this wheel for audio cables? So instead of wrapping this thing uh, around my arm or doing the over under method as you're supposed to do, right? Uh, which, right. which nobody does, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or at least nobody lazy does, right? Um, then uh, I could just have this wheel and just re- you know wind it up. And so that's what we created the uh, the, the cable. 
it okay. just you just put any cable in there and when you want to uh and the cool thing is is that let's say you have a 20 foot cable it works up to 30 foot cables uh as long as mm-hmm. they're like standard diameter um you can uh uh if you're you have a 30 foot cable but you're only like four feet from your guitar amp and from your pedal board you could just mm-hmm. take out you know a couple feet out of the out of the cable put mm-hmm. the cable on the ground and you plug in your your cable and then your cable is nice and neat in this tiny little package it's only about like six seven inches in diameter mm-hmm. uh, about an inch and a half thick and um and then your cable is protected. If you nobody's going to step on it and break, it's not going to get tangled, messy. And then when you're done with your show, all you have to do is just uh, wind it up. And there you go. Boom! You're done. Nice and neat. Done. You have your cable all put away. Takes literally ten seconds. And we sell them in like um, you could buy a single one, but you could, we also sell them in packs of four with like a nice little gig bag, little like a uh, duffel bag that you can put all your cables in and and travel with, and just takes and they all don't take the up any more exactly. room really than if you just had a cable. Yeah, because exactly. It's wound up smaller. It's wound yeah. up mm-hmm. so small that even if that it. it it doesn't really take up much room. In fact, it actually takes up less room from a, uh, because when you're wrapping it on your arm, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, it's it usually take, it's about like, you know, maybe like a foot in diameter or something, which is, yeah. Even the, even over undering, yeah, it's going to yeah, be bigger than that. Exactly. So, yeah. So very so cool. It's more compact, keeps your cables protected for travel and makes uh setup and breakdown faster and easier. So cabling, mm-hmm. C A B L I. Uh, but of course you could see all our products at singular sound, um, singular sound.com. There's, I got my, there it logo. is. There it is right there. <laughs> it's behind you. You're, yeah, you're all exactly. good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, anyone who's watching this on video, it can't get away from the brand, but, uh, and of course uh, that'll be in the show notes for everybody that's listening. Perfect. You can check it there and just click through and you'll be able to find all that stuff. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So right on, man. Yeah. And of course we, we also sell, uh, like, um, uh, professional level, uh, um, uh, beats and drum sets that people can buy for their beat buddy and add additional content. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So that's, that's another aspect of our business. Uh, we sell digital content for the beat buddy, but you could also get a lot of free digital content on the forum. A lot of people make their own content and upload it for free. So there's literally thousands and thousands of additional beat buddy beats songs, uh, on the forum available for free download, as well as many, many drum sets, uh, with varying levels of quality. I will say, you know, it's, it's uh, sure. U- Sure, sure. It's user made, so some mm. of it's really, really good, and some of it not as good. But um, but we do sell professional level stuff as well that that people can download. So the Beat Buddy is like a constantly expanding uh, product uh, with the content, as well as uh, we put out firmware updates and uh, add additional capabilities to it, as well as to our other products like the MIDI Maestro and the uh, and the Eros Loop Studio. So we're constantly in- enhancing the capabilities of it. Very cool, man. Very cool. All right. Well, I think we'll get into the classic questions and uh, we'll put a bow on this thing. What do you sure. say? Perfect. Let's do it. All right. All right. First one, and this, this is a, I'll be very curious to get your take on this. Sure. What is your favorite boss pedal? Ooh, boss pedal. Uh, I mean, I guess I, like most guitarists, grew up on boss pedals. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is, and this is kind of ironic, being that I run a pedal company, that uh, I was never 
super into pedals in general, uh, you know, just because I've always, as I said, you know, I've always been a singer songwriter, uh, mostly playing acoustic, uh, rhythm and, and singing. So I never really played, um, I never really used that many pedals in general. Um, so I, I think the first pedal I ever bought was a boss distortion pedal. I think it was the OS one, maybe, uh, um, DS one, DS one, maybe. Yeah. 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 DS one. Yes. The Kurt and, Cobain pedal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and actually Kurt Cobain is who inspired me to play guitar in the first place. Um, when I heard, when I first heard the, that twang guitar riff of, uh, of smells like teen spirit as a 15 year old mm-hmm. boy, I was like, that is the coolest sounding thing ever. I need to learn how to play that. I was like super motivated to learn how to play that. And, uh, of course that's an electric guitar with distortion. So that's what, uh, that's what I, uh, got into, but, um, but ended up play- and, you know, moving much more towards acoustic. So not, not really, uh, playing that with that many pedals i will say that nowadays my favorite pedal i know this isn't exactly the question you asked but nowadays my favorite pedal is it's not a boss pedal um of course my favorite pedal i should say other than the products that i've created (laughs) (laughs) sure right sure sure. uh because i i'm definitely uh i'm definitely biased on that um but um uh my my favorite non-singular sound pedal would be the the TC Helicon singer, uh, a, a mm, harmony mm-hmm. singer, harmony singer, yep. because as a singer, uh, being able to like to pop in some harmonies at just the right time in a live show, it just blows the audience away. It really does. And mm-hmm. that, that, that pedal is just so well made. The sounds is so good. It's so simple and yet so powerful. Um, I, I I couldn't say enough good things about the TC Helicon uh, Harmony Singer. It's uh, just a brilliant, brilliant pedal and, and adds a huge amount to any singer-songwriter's performance. Uh, it's actually kind of funny uh, because when I do live shows, I have my beat buddy and I have the 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 TC electro uh, TC Helicon uh, Harmony Singer, and mm-hmm. after the show, people always ask me about the Harmony Singer pedal. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, oh, come on, man! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, what about that other pedal? Isn't isn't the drum machine awesome? And they, but they're always yeah. paying attention because I mean, I guess naturally from the audience perspective, they're always focused on the voice, uh, sure. yeah, rather than the drums. A, a musician will tend to ask about the the Beat Buddy pedal uh, because it's a lot less common people know about harmony pedals but a lot of people still don't know about the beat buddy even though it's been out since 2014 so if it's a musician they'll they'll usually ask me about the beat buddy but like a random audience member will usually notice the harmony pedal a lot more than Mm -hmm. than the drums yeah for sure well they just see you up there but they hear the harmonies exactly exactly they're like wait a second there's two people singing you know so Mm -hmm. yeah that blows them away yeah Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. All right. Final question. And this one, this might be the most controversial question you've ever been asked. I don't oh, know. We'll oh find boy. Out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm scared. <laughs> Pro- probably not considering your past. But, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's your favorite kind of pizza? Ooh, very controversial. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I won't go near the the pineapple. I don't want to get you know get canceled. But um, but uh, <laughs> I actually, if I had to pick one, uh, it would be barbecue chicken pizza barbecue chicken barbecue chicken pizza because it's got 
chicken, which has nice amount of protein on it. And I love mm-hmm. chicken, of course. And the barbecue sauce has like a sweetness to it. And I'm like, I've got a huge sweet tooth. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's barbecue. So it's not exactly like, you know, pure sugar. Exactly. Yeah. It's not pure. It's got, it's sweet, but it's, but it's got a, that barbecue flavor to it, which goes really well with the chicken and what really well with the cheese. And mm-hmm. now I'm getting hungry thinking about it. I feel like <laughs> barbecue chicken is, is gaining popularity. I was never yeah. super into to barbecue chicken, but yeah. my wife has made a, a, her own kind of version of it with, and this, I was like, again, so I was like, this pizza is not going to be uh-huh. any good. There's no way uh-huh. this barbecue chicken with a little bit of uh, blue cheese. Oh, I love and blue cheese. I yeah. love blue cheese. Yeah. I was just like, there's no way this combination is going to work. I took yeah. one bite. It was like, I'm just kidding. I'll have the whole yeah. pizza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there is a huge variety, I think, in the quality of pizzas, depending on where, you know, who makes it and, you know, where you get it. And sure. uh, I, for anyone who's in the Miami area, I will recommend a specific pizza place that I think is the best in Miami. It's called Andiamo's Pizza, like Andiamo, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, right. Andiamo's Pizza in uh, it's near it's near the Wynwood area of Miami. Uh, so if anyone's in the Miami area, check out the barbecue chicken pizza from Andiamo's Pizza. It'll blow you away. Amazing. All uh, right. My favorite pizza ever made. You you did yeah. it. That was going to be my next question. Is there any specific place? And you you already anticipated my move. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. On the Amos Pizza. Highly recommend it. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll slide over to Patreon. So what kind of mischief we can get into. Does that sound good? Perfect. All right. All right, everyone. For David, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Alrighty, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that tale. David and I got really weird on the Patreon. We got a little bit existential. We talked for, I think, around 45 or 50 minutes, and we dove deep into AI and what we think this means for music and what it means for humanity and all kinds of different things. It was not a conversation I anticipated on having, but that is kind of the way Patreon goes sometimes. So, if you would like to check that out, please head over to patreon.com slash tonemob and check it out. I'm going to be doing some more stuff there. Patreon has done some interesting changes really, really recently. Uh, it may allow me to open up some free tiers so that we can have a little more direct one-on-one communication, bypass those algorithms a little bit. So I will explore that and I will keep you all posted. But in the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, it's still just five bucks a month. Five bucks a month will get you access to the entire back catalog of Patreon episodes. And some of them are my very best episodes. I'm not even making that up. I have been told that from multiple Patreon supporters. So if it's at all possible, I would really appreciate the help there. It really helps out massively, massively. Thank you so much to everybody that does that. But if it's not in the cards, I totally get it. But I would still appreciate you telling somebody about it. If you tell somebody about this podcast enough times, there's a very good chance they will download it. And it is massively helpful. This show only keeps going and keeps growing because you people tell people about it. There are no algorithms currently to help push this thing along. This is all people sharing the RSS feed with others that they think may enjoy it. So please, if you can, share this with somebody. It would mean the world to me. All right, folks, I will talk to you very soon. I've got a lot of content coming your way from GearFest. Please stay tuned to the socials. Join the Tone Mob Facebook group. 
And I'm going to be trying to get a little more active on the Discord. We have a Discord. It's there. I am not as in it as I should be, and I'm going to try to fix that. All right. Anyway, I think that's enough plugging. Let's let's log off. Let's call this good. Let's get off of this podcast and get to something useful. All right. Talk to you all later. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget, and we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.